Hey everybody, just wanted to take a few seconds of your time before the podcast starts. Just wanted to let you know about a passion project of mine for the last three years called Hustle Focused Energy. It's a powdered drink mix intended to help you focus and accomplish your goals. Super excited to bring this to market. Go check it out, hustletheday.com. And thank you so much for listening. On this episode of the Hustle the Day podcast, it's just difficult to even describe who Dennis Mosley Williams is because I feel like I will be missing something. He is a fascinating individual. He is an expert on the experience economy. He is helping financial advisors provide that experience for their clients. He is also an author, but really he's just fascinating. You're going to have to listen to it. Let's get to it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Hustle Today podcast. I'm super excited. I've, we've got a legend on here today. We've got Dennis Mosley Williams. I can't intro you, Dennis. Your reputation precedes you. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Love to. Trent, thanks very much for inviting me and having me on. And hello, everyone in Blogland. Um, I am the founder of Dennis Mosley Williams Strategic Consulting. I'm an author and a blogger. I'm a certified experience economy expert. I love working with business owners, creators, freelancers, and helping them do work that matters and resonates and gets recognized. I like to say that in addition to helping you sort of make your fortune, I'm going to make sure that you don't lose yourself, your brains, or your soul along the way. So again, thanks very much for inviting me on. No problem. I love that. I love that line. You know, you help make you or help not lose your brain and your soul along the line because you know what that's that definitely can happen in entrepreneurship in general um but like we talked about before you're you're currently dealing with a lot of people in a different stage in their business than most of my audience right you speak a little bit to what it's like on the other side of, you know, being in business, you've had your company for 18 years, but you've been in the business for 20 plus years. What's mm-hmm. that like now versus where you were at year five, year one, year three? You know, obviously in some ways things are much more comfortable, right? Like clearly, well, I don't worry about the wolf at the door as much. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what never, ever, ever, ever goes away, ever. You constantly... So, I, I mean, your question was, how is it different? And, and now I'm going to hijack that and say, it's different in every way, obviously, everybody. If you manage to stay in business for 18 years, you drive a nicer car, you make more money, and you worry about some things less. You just do. I've got a buddy of mine I share an office with. He's my office mate, and I'm coaching him. He's about somewhere a year, three to five, unofficially coaching. And I just tell him this all the time. I say, you got to live like a high school teacher, Okay. That money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your company and taxes. You get paid later on. Like it's a real slow build. So how about what never changes? Here I am 18 years later. We're living in this interesting COVID event, of course, which has forced a lot of our hands. But even if it wasn't going on, what never goes away is you have to constantly be a student of your business and where the business is going. And you have to constantly be thinking about how you can matter more to your clients. So 18 years later, that's one thing that has never gone away. 
over 18 years, I've been earning my, my audience's trust, right? Um, certainly, but what never goes away is, is, is really thinking about what your clients care about. And I want to say, not what your clients care about what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, I paint houses. Tell me what your clients care about. Oh, well, they care about, you know, nicely painted houses and, you know, pretty backyards. It's like, no, no, no. I asked you what they care about, not what they care about paint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, what do they care about in general? And that's something I've learned over all of these years. Always understand what your audience cares about, and you should worry about the things they care about. You'll have all the clients you need. That has been my experience. Absolutely. So you talk about this, uh, you know, that you're certified in the experience economy, and what you're doing is by caring about their needs, you're catering to their experience, and you know what, you've you talked about financial planning because a lot of your business deals with financial advisors, and yes, financial planning is not the sexiest thing to talk about, but you still tell people how to provide an experience in that. Can you speak yes. a little bit to providing an experience in any business? Yes. Okay. So everybody listening, um, everyone listening should read the book, The Experience Economy, written by Joe Pine and Jim Gilmore. I'm certified under Joe and Jim. I actually went to school with them in uh, 2015. I read the experience economy in 1999 and I had been speaking about customer experience starting in about 1995, let's say. Okay. So please everyone read the book, the experience economy, Trent, to your question, this is what you're all going to learn. What you're going to learn is that customer experience is not customer service. But you could be forgiven for confusing that because the entire world is confused about it. And we use those two words synonymously. So let me explain what my work is about. Service is ultimately about saving customers time and money. It's about making it easy. And everybody listening, who would ever argue with improving customer service as being a good idea? And while I'm not arguing against it, I'm cautioning you to to take a deep breath and think this through. If service is about making things more efficient and easy, what the heck is experience? Experience is the opposite. It's about slowing everything down. And instead of efficiency being the end all and be all, memory is, engagement is. So in other words, service is about saving people time Whereas experience is about creating time well spent. The three sort of rules that I teach all my clients and my audiences, etc., is that services are not experiences. Time is the currency of experience. If everybody listening just took a moment, you know, pause the podcast and think, when was the last time I was a guest of a business and I didn't want the experience to end? Maybe you said to yourself, or the people you were with, I could stay here all day, all night, all weekend. You were having an experience. It reached into you. It grabbed a hold of you. You were in, you were engaged, you were on, and it created within you a desire to linger. And there's a final piece to all of this. Experience is about transformation. Experience, you know you've had one, 
because you feel it, but nobody else sees it because it happens to you on the inside. So what all businesses need to do is stop being so obsessed with service. Instead, get more obsessed with experience, how you do the work, with the end in mind of we want to create a fan by seizing their attention and holding them in this engagement by personalizing it just for them so that it becomes something special, memorable, and ultimately a part of them. Yeah, absolutely. That's an incredible definition there of you know, what it means to provide that experience for somebody. And I do agree, we do need to get obsessed with the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that uh, I've got some mentors that help guide in that experience aspect. And, you know, they talk about the timing of follow-up and the thoroughness of follow-up in that you're not talking about business. You're talking about their life, the things that are important to them, the things that... That's right. Yeah, that that makes such a difference to your experience that you're providing. Yeah, uh, you, if I may, something yeah. that I, I said, you know, sometimes the smartest things you ever say, you, you then scramble for a pen. Oh, I can't believe I just said that to Trent on the phone. <laughs> now, the other day, this is just a really great way, everybody, to help you out because this idea of service and experience aren't the same. While to me, it's kind of, it's somewhat obvious once it's explained and even easy it's really, really hard to make that shift because we're so service focused. So the other day I said to a guy on the phone, I said, okay, okay, when it's all over your meeting, and and just to remind everyone listening, a lot of my clients um, work in the financial services industry, your financial advisor, your banker. And their challenge is, of course, that they sell invisible stuff. It's easy when we talk about experience and I say, hey, let's all imagine you at a coffee shop or a clothing store or a hotel. Wow. Things you can put your hands on. Those are easy to imagine as experiences. But invisible things are really, really tough. Okay? They're, they're really hard. So I say to this guy on the phone, I go, when you're finished, he's an advisor. Where do people go when they're done? They've had this meeting with you. You've assured them that they're fine. But where do you go? And, and I said to him, you know, ultimately where you go is experience about creating an emotion. So remember, everybody, I'm talking to a person who manages your wealth. His job, in this case a he, is to make sure that you don't run out of money before you die. That's his job, okay? What his job should be, though, in my opinion, is inspiring you to become the best version of yourself. And, you know, we can, you know, what is the purpose of experience? What is the purpose of transformation? Where do clients measure value? Is it in function and price or is it increasingly becoming in who they see us becoming? So I say to this, in who they see us rather the business is helping them become. So I say to him, brother, this is over. Where do they go? He doesn't have a great answer. Mm, Right? And I said, they should be inspired to go somewhere, to do something. Okay? If they just leave and they go home and they sit at their telephone and wait for you to call them in 90 days to assure them that the market continues to go up and down a little wee bit. I said, that's not enough. Where do they want to go and who are you helping them become? This is what all, all experiences is about. Creating an, an emotion and an intention in your client to take action. And too many times 
We don't think that way. What we think about is let's just make this as easy and cheap for them as possible. They'll really like that they can get, you know, this pen for a dollar less here than next door. Until that guy matches your price and is willing to hand it to you out the window to save you the walk into the store, now you're in the service price competition and you're going to lose, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That's, that's something we all focus too much on price. And if that's your differentiator, it's not always going to be the differentiator because somebody else is going to come out there. They're going to undercut you. It's just, you know, how, how it works. Um, so yeah. the only price matters, price matters when you're boring, when you're buying boring stuff, <laughs> that's when you care if you're buying. So what, like, just think everybody, again, I work with money guys. Think about your own business. Nobody ever refers, as I say to my advisors all the time, nobody ever refers the math. They refer the story. Mm -hmm. And what every business, including me, including you, what everybody listening wants to be, whether you figured it out just now or not, is this. You want to be a story that somebody wants to hear twice. You want them to say, hear the story literally and go, tell me that again. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Tell me about this guy. He's in Salt Lake. Okay, wait. Salt Lake City. Okay, who? Trent? Is that his name? Tell me about this guy. That, when somebody says to you, tell me that again, what are they telling you? They're telling you I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Tell me about that again. What are they telling you? They're telling you, okay, they're not going to say, okay, good. I'm glad I heard that right. I'm never going there. No. <laughs> they're saying, tell me about this guy because they want to talk to you. And that only happens. There's two kinds of work to do, everybody. There's the work that's assigned and there's the work that's required. The assigned work is what they hired you to do. It's what they paid you for. Right. Making dinner in a restaurant is the assigned work. Serving it, da, 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 da. I live in a part of the world that has four seasons, as do you, but not quite like I do. <laughs> Experience is when the waiter says, while I bring your coffee in the check, do you want me to go outside and have your car started in the winter? Now that's an experience. That's a signature moment. That's memorable. Someone's going to say, and we had the loveliest time at this restaurant. Trent owns it. Do you know that guy? Nice fella, this and that, and get this. And when they tell that part of the story, that's what makes somebody say, wait, that's smart. That's insightful. That's generous. That's clever. Tell me that again. Dave, listen to Trent's story about what his waiter did. Nobody then says, but how was the chicken? And even if they did, and you said this, because this is what the answer to that question is all the time. How was the chicken? Want to hear? Fine. <laughs> it's chicken. Fine. <laughs> you can make it at home. Why would you ever pay for it in a restaurant? That's why I never order chicken. It's the only thing that even I can make. And you can go, mm, that's delicious. It's chicken. Nobody <laughs> refers the chicken. They refer the waiter. Service, experience, two different things. Absolutely. That reminds me of a, an experience I had when, you know, we talked before about how I'm a reformed car salesman. And sure. uh, uh, I had a client come in. He had a second home in Park City. He was from Southern California. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they have much larger dealerships there that can get a lot more aggressive on pricing. And he came in, he's like, ah, I just kind of want to look at this and, you know, see if you guys can match the price so I don't have to go back to California. And it's like, straight up, I can't match that price. Just don't have the volume that they do. I can't do that. But I gave him the, an experience that was completely different. He, he kept saying, he's like, you're not, you're not like chasing me to my car. You're not doing, you're not, uh, 
you know, trying to get my keys and all this stuff. And I just, that's not my style. I'm not right. the, the typical car salesman. So yes. it ended up, he ended up going home, came back like a week later. He's like, I really can't get this out of my head. Like you didn't do all these things that all the California dealers are doing to me. And even though I can get a better price there, I think I want to do business with you. And my, yeah. ma- my manager <clears throat> prior to this, he's when the guy left the first time, he's like, you've got a better chance of closing that deal than you do. Um, sorry, you rather, you have a better chance of winning the lottery without buying a ticket than you do of closing that deal. And he was thinking in the traditional aspect, but yeah. provided the experience and he came back and paid more money to get that experience. So I can say in my personal life, that has been the case. Absolutely. There's two things that you make that I want to say about that. Sorry, everybody, as you're watching me scribble notes, (laughs) you know, I tell people all the time, I don't have any more ideas than you do. I just lose fewer ideas than you do. I write them down. (laughs) How do you come up with these great ideas? What are you talking about? If I come up with two ideas and I write them down, that's two more than most people will their whole week. (laughs) Okay, so this is the first thing I want to say. I want to talk about the fact that there's all kinds of evidence that suggests that people buy what they want, not what they need. That's the first thing I want to say. Okay, so how a person makes them feel when they're considering buying it makes them want it. What do we all know about price? It's only a problem when there is an absence of value. That's what this whole discussion can now become about. Well, what the hell is value? We already know the assumption is saving a dollar and saving a minute. Is it sometimes? Sure. I'm going to use McDonald's. Full disclosure, I'm a shareholder. I'm going to use McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah, man. On my way to the cottage, that's a great place for me to hit. On the highway, use the drive-thru. It's perfect. If I go up on a certain day and Big Macs are selling for 99 cents. That's a great day for me. I'm not, I'll eat one of those. Absolutely. I'll go through that drive-through. And when my wife, who I adore, and hopefully she won't hear this comment. <laughs> when Sherry says, nah, I don't need to pee. I'm even happier. We're on the road again. Whew! And I'm driving up the road. There's one example of when saving a dollar and saving a minute matters to me but doesn't always matter to me. Sometimes I pay more. So this is the other thing I want to talk about. Too many businesses focus on the buying experience. That's what your sales manager was doing at the car dealership. He was focusing on the buying experience. What do we want to do? Make it easy, mm-hmm. simple, wave your hand, wave a card, push a button, give me your thumb, make it easy, easy, easy. Open late, open early, open seven days a week, 24 hours a day, put all the inventory online, blah, 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 blah. Make it easy to buy. What's shopping? If the focusing on the buying experience is focusing on the products, then focusing on the shopping experience is is focusing on the person. What is shopping? And I feel a need to say this. I really shouldn't be commenting on this because A, I'm a minimalist. (laughs) So to think about the last time I went shopping, walking around a store and just enjoyed being in there, I would have to have a seance (laughs) a long time ago. Number two is I'm a buyer, not a shopper. So even when I, I'm not in, you know, but here it is. Here's my stab at it. Shopping is about perusing, discovering, 
looking, considering, daydreaming. If you really render it down, it could, everybody listening, it could be clothing, but it could be, uh, for all my music fans out there, hey, it could just be being in a record store, flipping through the stacks, a bookstore, a comic book shop, a boat, a car. It could be tools. It could be anything. If you choose to shop, what you are doing is you are entertaining the possibility of need. When you buy something, I am out of Tylenol. I need to buy Tylenol. You're meeting a need. When you're shopping, you're saying, I never thought about owning a pickup truck before. Jeez, go back to wants and needs. I came in to buy a compact car, but I really kind of am interested in this pickup truck. The shopping becomes a discovery of a need and a willingness, just hear me out everybody, to explore it. Hmm, do I need a pickup truck? So I'm going to go back to your part of the world, my man. I start imagining myself throwing a saddle in there, driving up in the mountains, loading some rocks in, being a man, <laughs> doing pickup truck things. And I entertain that for a while. And then I realized, no, 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 that's a fun fantasy. But what I really need is a car that's good on gas mileage and ideally four doors so I can easily put stuff in the backseat. Fair enough. And I go back and I buy what I want. Well, in every business that everybody has that's listening today, you need to focus on that shopping experience. Whatever your offering is, Dennis, I sell hammers. Great. The shopping experience isn't about your hammer. That's the buying experience. The shopping experience is about the client. How can you stage an experience that creates a question in their mind? Hmm, maybe I do need a hammer. <laughs> okay. And how can you encourage them to linger, take their time? That's what every business needs to figure out. How to focus on the shopping experience and creating time well spent. Not, it's not about the products. And we should all be glad that's not the case because if you think, I don't know, I sell some pretty good products. Like, well, you ought to go apply for a job really quick for Amazon before they put you out of business. They haven't yet because they don't feel like it. But as soon as they do, it'll be over before you know it happened. <laughs> Absolutely true. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, a lot of people, if they did just buy based on the product, would make completely different buying decisions. So... They'll that buy the cheapest one. Yeah. <laughs> Can I tell you, here's a horror story as I, as I try not to look at myself on the computer. <laughs> These glasses. I was going to get one just giant lens um, instead of two. These glasses are made by um, Warby Parker, American company. I'm a fan. This is the third pair I've owned. Okay, you ready? In case you might have any optometrists or ophthalmologists out there in your tribe, my man. I bought these during covid Downloaded an app on my phone. Oh. Yeah. Think shopping experience. You ready? It did a 3D rendering of my face. So I was able to try on and literally just like what you see me doing, I was trying on all different pairs of glasses virtually. Wow. Selected these. You ready? Then I did the eye exam right through my phone. Wow. How much did my eye exam used to cost? I don't know. <laughs> Something. <laughs> what does it cost now? I was all baked into the price of the glasses. Mm -hmm. I tried them on. It was a really cool experience. It was fun. And then, you know, literally like check my eyes. Okay. Click. They're great. These bad boys showed up a few days later, just a little sidebar here. And if 
not to ruin the surprise for anybody out there, but when you remove the lid on the box and you look in, the very first thing you see is a little note to you. And it says, congratulations. For every pair we sell, we give a pair to someone in need. Not only did I get exactly what I want, I get this little added gift of knowing I just done good, as my mother would say. You done good. (laughs) Feels good. Focus on your shopping experience, everybody. Focus on creating desire and need. Increasingly, when we look to buy something, what we ask ourselves is, who is this company, this brand, this product, this person, this Trent guy? Who's he helping me become? That increasingly is how we measure the value that a company, a person, or a brand brings to our lives. Because if all you want to do is sell stuff, I'm just going to jump online on Amazon and find it for as cheap as possible. Yeah. End of story. Absolutely. And 10 Very weeks true. ago, I wouldn't have said that, or 12 weeks ago. But again, this COVID thing has pushed all of us forward. I cannot believe what I've done online in the last 10, 12 weeks that I'd never done in 10 years previous. There you go. Yeah, One man's yeah, opinion. Absolutely. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think they're... This has changed things, but it has obviously changed things for the better or for the worse based on you. And right. It's not, it's not what it, there's no absolute that it changed. It changed based on how you perceive it because now's a great time to pivot, to change your business, to upgrade the customer experience. I Amen. Mean, you don't, you don't have to spend money. You can change your business right now just by changing your experience. Yes, changing the experience and changing the question that you're asking as far as what does my business do? So it all depends what business you think you're in. This is from my friend Kevin Dully. Kevin Dully, for anybody listening, because he's just a riot, this guy. His handle on Twitter is Idea Freak. Hmm. (laughs) I said, I love your handle. He goes, that's what they call me work, the freak. Give it to the freak fascinating guy. I went to experience economy school with him and he sat beside me and he does this interpretation of Joe Pine, co-author of the experience economy of the progression of economic value. So please everyone, again, I'm telling you, you got to read that book. I'm essentially a cover band of that book and I try my best, but I'm just, why don't you just go listen to the actual artists, you know? So Kevin Dully takes the progression of economic value that explains how consumer sensibility has changed so considerably from an agrarian economy through to an industrial economy to a service economy and now the experience economy. And what Kevin argues is it's easy to understand when you just break, when you render each economy down to a question. So when you're selling commodities, the question you're asking is how much do you want? When you're selling goods, you're asking, what do you need? When you're doing services, you're saying, what can I do for you? When you're asking, when you're staging experiences, not selling experiences, you stage experiences, you're asking, what do you want to do, right? Go one more to the transformation economy. That question you're asking, who do you want to become? And that, my friend, so when you say, yeah, we got to jack up our experience, it's like, yes, but wait. If you don't watch out, everybody, what was the first thing I told you? Experiences and service. If I were to wrap this interview right now and say, yep, that's it, you'd all run out and work on service and put yourselves into the poorhouse. What you need to do is change the question you're asking from what do you need or what can I do for you to who do you want to become? 
And that, my friend, is the work you do. A moment ago, I alluded to the work that's assigned versus the work that's required. Focus on the work that's required. That's the work that your clients don't ask you to do. But any assigned work, anything that's on your sign above the door that says what you do or your business card or your homepage or whatever, I don't care what you do. I can find somebody else who will do it for less. (laughs) I can find somebody to do it for less. No problem. Right online right now. They can't possibly do it for less. Yeah, I know. But they'll do it for less anyway and lose money on it. There's always an idiot willing to do it and lose money on it. Always. Okay? On the other hand, if I ask this question, who do they want to become? And I focus on the work that's required. How much would you pay Trent for personal transformation? How much would you pay to become the very best version of yourself? And that's not an answer you can, you can give. I'm, I'm just going to answer it for you. Well, that would be almost priceless. But if we agreed this, well, it would certainly at the very least be worth a premium fee, wouldn't it? Because mm-hmm. you're no longer selling a thing. You're selling transformation. Absolutely. So you're certified in the experience economy. Do you feel like we are trans- we are going towards the transformation economy? Yeah, we might be in it. Yeah, let me just tech, like wet finger the sky. We might be in it. Um, well, I'll tell you what. So I, this is going to be the third time I tell you to read the book, The Experience Economy. <laughs> but please read The Experience Economy. When I went to school, I had to apply to go. And when I talked to Joe Pine, I told him he was both my John Lennon and my Paul McCartney. When they wrote that book, Joe and Jim, in 1999, they said the experience economy is imminent. It is arriving and there's nothing you can do about it. Well, they don't make that claim anymore. What they tell you now, and uh, just for everybody's information, fourth time, experience economy, (laughs) they came out with a new edition last November with some good juicy stuff in there. Now it's here and there is no denying it. So what's coming into play now is the transformation economy. So as I've said, increasingly, the, what, when we measure the value that a, a person brings to our life, what we're asking is, who is this person helping me become? So, you know, you've already mentioned, Trent, that I work with a lot of financial advisors. So this is for everybody listening who I'm going to assume isn't a financial advisor, Financial advisors, the assigned work is turning you into millionaires, or let's say that's not fair, is turning you into somebody who's financially independent. That's their job. That's the work that's assigned. The work that's required that I talk about is making sure they're happy and fulfilled. My friend Brian Portnoy wrote this wonderful book called The Geometry of Wealth, and in it, he has this beautiful, beautiful phrase or term, funded contentment. The funded part is the work that's assigned. Can you make sure I got lots of money? Am I saving enough? Can I afford a new car? Should I be paying more on my mortgage? Is my asset allocation right? Is my diversification right? All that stuff. Wonderful. It's the funded part that's easy. The contentment is the magic. I'm so happy. I am grateful. I don't, there's no place else I want to be. And that, my friend, if you can turn somebody that way, how much is their advisor worth to them? And if you look at every business, including the financial services industry, since I started a million years ago, just under a million years ago, (laughs) like a million Canadian. It's like 20, 20 years ago. Every person I spoke to on the phone got paid in commissions. Anytime you talk to them, 
I want to sell this, buy this. They made a commission in and out. Now they're all fee-based, 1%, 1.25%. Now Chuck Schwab and Vanguard and all these guys have online options. Now, literally, asset management is worthless. It's so cheap, it's insulting. It would be like having an emergency room physician on call for eight bucks an hour. Mm. When you need them, you ring them up. They're going to come running to your house and cut it out or put something in or whatever, okay, for eight (laughs) bucks an hour. Okay, so again, go back to the financial service industry. So how do they create value for clients? They can't give it away any cheaper. They're already not making any money on it. So what do they do? It's the third thing I told you. Services aren't experiences. Time is the currency. And what's the last one? They need to look at their clients and ask themselves this question. Who, who am I turning Dennis and Sherry into? Sherry's my wife. Okay, I've helped them save money. I put a plan together. They're going to be okay, but are they going to stay married, fulfilled? Are they, are they connecting with their kids and their community? Does Dennis still get the big thrill he used to get out of doing what he does? You know, I used to get a lot of meaning out of this. I still do. But is he looking for more? Now that he's I put all of these terms, you know, now that he's a successful person and he's a speaker and he gets paid lots of money to show up and talk and he wrote a book and he's done this and he's, does he need anything else out of life? And if the answer is, yeah, yeah, he does. He needs something. He's run out of road, as my dad used to say, okay? Then you can say, well, whose job is that? Who, who should be fixing that? To which I can say, well, I don't know. I don't know. But hear me out. If Trent's my client, and I work with Trent, and I help Trent think differently about being a podcaster, whatever, just to help you grow your industry and just your your audience and just think that way. If Trent then shared one day that things are tense at home, and you've been paying me for a year and a half, two years, and you trust me, and you let that float by me, I have a choice. I can lean away from that. Oh, well, geez, man. Yeah, sometimes it gets that way with Sherry and I. I hope you got, you know, I, uh, it'll, it'll blow by. And I think, well, it's not my job. Well, that's your choice. But what if I said, oh, and literally went and folded my stuff up, pushed it aside and said, well, do you want to talk about it? What's going on? Like, what did I say? At the beginning of our little talk, I said, you got to focus in on what your clients care about not what you do. Oh dear. I only really care about helping him grow his audience. That's my, that's what Trent pays me to do. No, oh no, no. You trust me. I have a relationship with you. And this is an opportunity to say, Trent, I know about podcasting. I don't. And growing an audience. I, what I know about the politics and poetics of keeping a happy marriage together, I'm learning on my own. But what would matter if you left and we have a nice little chat and after you leave, I go, hmm. And I just go to Google, man. (laughs) I just look for help for you. What do you care about? Keeping that marriage together and connecting. And then I send that to you and I say, hey, I know I'm the podcast audience building guy, but I'm also a guy and I'm married and I've had happy days and unhappy days. And I like the happy ones a lot more. And I want what's best for you. So on my own, I took this initiative and this is what was required. And this is what I did for you. Does that become a story they tell twice? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Things are nice with Lisa and I now. No, we have a little tight, but you know, we've been having a really lo- lovely summer. You know, the thing I'm doing is this. Boom, boom, boom. I go, oh, that's pretty smart. 
And you say, yeah, I thought that all up on my own. Or do you say, yeah, my buddy uh, tipped me off to that. Oh, yeah. Who's your buddy? (laughs) Do the work that's required, not just assigned. The assigned stuff's commoditized. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing you've talked about um, on your uh, blogcast that you have is, you know, finding the right people to do business with. Yes. Um, how do you find those people that you resonate with, that you can provide that experience with, that you are their buddy? All right. That's the million dollar question. And it starts the first day you're in business. <laughs> Everybody always thinks you can work with a whole bunch of dreck for a while and then slowly start peeling it out and bring in the people you want to work with. And I'm going to say, Oh, you're going to not want to do that. <laughs> Oh, you'll be sorry for every dollar you earn with a person who doesn't fit. Oh, how do you know, Dennis, as I remove my shirt to show you the scars? You think I was always this smart? (laughs) Okay. Average, here's my formula. You're going to want to write it down. It's three words. It goes like this. And I know in the United States, they say niche. Mm -hmm. I'm from Canada. We have French people. We say niche. (laughs) (laughs) So here it goes, niche, niche, weird. General, if you're a generalist, you're in trouble. If you sell products to average people looking for average things, you're in trouble. Okay, I always use the example of skateboards. Here's why. Because I've never ridden a skateboard. I have no interest in skateboards. Although you would never believe it looking at me, I'm pushing 50. I'm never going to get on a skateboard. I don't know. I know who Tony Hawk is. That's what I know about skateboards. Yeah. I am now exhausted. And the fact that I can even dig that out of my gray matter is amazing. I don't know anything about skateboards. Now listen to me out there, everybody. But you just say to me, I want to make skateboards. This is what I would tell you. You need to make a thousand dollar skateboard. Make, do your work for people who care who have opinions on skateboards, who have critical opinions on skateboards, who get excited about skateboards, who like to talk about skateboards. Because those people care. You want to make a skateboard for me to buy for my kid, child? I'm going to go to the hardware store, the toy store, the whatever, and I'm going to buy a skateboard for $30 because I'm an average guy looking for an average product. So if you, when you're looking for the right people, you need to be certain and believe in the work you do and who it's for. Success as an entrepreneur is knowing who your business isn't for and having the courage to say so. And what I would tell everybody is this, you will know where you're at based on this. Don't don't be in a business where you're asking people to buy from you. Be in a business where you're asking them to buy into you. And I'm gonna use an example from your part of the world, okay, man? I am an almost exclusive wearer of Patagonia, okay? Founded by a Canadian fella, which I'm very proud of, Yvon Chouinard, but that's not why I wear it. I wear it because Patagonia, in addition to making a beautiful, like really great stuff, but is their stuff any better than Arcteryx or North Face? or any Columbia or anybody else, 
I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've seen my buddies wear Arc'teryx jackets, and they seem to last for 10, 12 years. They're clearly pretty damn good jackets. And same thing with North Face, the same thing with everybody else. But what Patagonia has done is they've given me something to buy into, which is their commitment to the environment, which is very important to me. Patagonia is also not cheap. It's more expensive. Everything's more expensive, but that's okay. When the promise is clear, the price is easy. So everybody listening, Dennis, how do I find the right people? You first must be about something that is incredibly specific. And now, because I'm a Canadian, I will tell the prerequisite rush story. <laughs> first of all, if you're like, oh yeah, I've never really got that band, then immediately after you read The Experience Economy, fifth time, you'll watch the documentary Beyond the Lighted Stage by Rush and we will fix your wagon for good forever. In that wonderful documentary, Rush is this beautiful band, been around forever. No more though, eh? We lost Neil Peart and we're all crushed. We were richer for having those fellas around for so long. So they're telling the story how they get discovered. This is just so beautiful. There is so many parallels between artists and business owners. We're both creating. We're both trying to reach an audience, resonate with an audience. We want them to go, shh, he's playing. Even if it's a podcast, even if you're building a house, doesn't matter. Art is art. You're creating a message. You're sharing it generously with the world and you want it to land and hit. So they're talking about how after toiling away in obscurity, nobody cares about Rush. Some DJ in Cleveland finds a song of theirs. For the life of me, I'm drawing a blank on which song that was called. Pretty easy to find on Google, though, everybody. So they get a little hit. And then either their management or the radio station, somebody says to them, you got to write, um, you got to write three-minute songs. And Rush says, but we write seven-minute songs. And they say, yeah, I know, but like... You got to write three-minute songs. It's three-minute songs that we play on the radio. And Rush says, we write seven-minute songs. <laughs> okay? And they didn't stop writing seven-minute songs. Okay? Yeah. Don't ever give up on your audience. Ever. There, so, again, I work in the financial service industry. In the United States, I think there's 400,000 financial advisors. If I wanted to sell something to each one of them, I would create something called something lame and gross, and the industry is full of examples of it, cranking it out every day. I'd write something like three things you can do right now to make more money and never work a Friday again. Okay? Oh, who doesn't want to make more money and work less? Okay? And I could have 400,000 people, you know, oh, excited. Yeah, I don't do that. I'm not interested in that kind of work. I'm not interested in that kind of anything. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm interested in. I play seven-minute songs, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And I only turn on people that like seven-minute songs. And you know who those seven-minute song lovers hang out with? Other people that like seven-minute songs. Play to your audience. Know your work. Know what it's for. It's for. Know what change it helps create. That's the end of it. And stick to that. Because when you keep showing up 
and bringing your audience what you promised, they will bring other people to the show. Okay, the Grateful Dead never once had a top 10 song and they never once, I think they had one, Touch It Grey might have been, but they definitely never had a top 10 album. Okay, but they sold hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not a billions of dollars in rock and roll tickets. Why? Well, are you a deadhead by any chance? You kind of got that look. <laughs> That's I, a compliment. I am not, but... Well, it was a compliment. You should be. Um, well, thank you. All of it. We're a tribe out there. Deadheads. We love them. They matter to us. They resonate with us. The dead never said to each other on stage one day, looking at the vast majority of people who walk past the stage, I don't want to listen to the dead. I don't care about the dead. The dead never went, let's write a pop tune. Let's write a Taylor Swift song. Lord knows we could crank one out in five minutes, right? And then all those people outside will come in and that'll feel good because we're packed. Never betray your audience, ever. The slow build, man, that's the way to go. Do you know how long it took me to get to be an interview on somebody's podcast? Ever. (laughs) Ever. Wow, I don't even know how to introduce this guy. He's a legend. I nearly blushed. You got to It's a slow build. So your question was, how do you find the right people? So short answer, no. Inside, authenticity. You got to believe in what you do. You got to believe it. It's not something. I'm going to use this example. If, if everybody listening here owned coffee shops, and I said, oh, well, you guys got to learn all about Starbucks. And I told you all about Starbucks. If you heard it all and then said to me or said to Trent, um, yeah, that Starbucks case study there. Yeah, I get it. I see why that would work. I see why you could soak a guy four bucks for a cup of coffee if you did all that. Okay. If you were all coffee shop owners and I told you all about Starbucks and experience and how it works and showed you the frameworks and literally had you go, oh, wow, like the matrix. I've never seen a Starbucks on this level before. And then you said to me, I'm pretty sure I, you know, I could see why I could jam you four bucks if I did that. I would say to you, Trent, don't. You clearly don't even really like the idea. Did you hear what you just said about it? You said, yeah, I can see why that would work and why you could soak a guy four bucks. Now, if I told you all about Starbucks and at the end, you like, you know, punched your buddy in the shoulder and went, ah, that's what I've been trying to explain to you for five years. This is what we need to do. This is it. I I lie in bed at night dreaming about clients having mugs with their name on it and feeling like they own this place. I would say to you, steal it. Do it. Go, go, go. And here's why. Authenticity is number one. You believe in it. Here's number two. Generosity. As the Red Hot Chili Peppers once said, give it away, give it away, give it away now. (laughs) You got to believe in it and be wanting to share it. That's why I have done as well in business as I have, candidly, because I'm asking people not to buy from me. I'm asking them to buy into the way I see the world. How do you see the world, Dennis? Um, I wouldn't work in August for $250,000. You mean like annually? No, that month. I No, you couldn't. If I gave you a quarter million dollars, you wouldn't leave your cottage? No, no. Because I'm not leaving my cottage. I'm leaving my life and my kids. I have this whole weird way of living my life, okay? It's for me. 
It's not for anybody else. This is the way it works. I call it the serious shift. It's a, a worldview that I ask people to join and I believe in it. It's how I live. It's why I'm happy. Everybody listening, if you're thinking, did he just say he wouldn't leave his cottage if he could make a quarter million dollars in a month? That's what I said. Now, I'm also going to tell you this. I drive a Jeep that's 12 years old, maybe 13 now. <laughs> okay. I make plenty of money and I don't tell you that to impress everybody. I, I have transcended all of that. It is meaningless to me. It's meaningless. It's just a tool. And I can, it allows me to live through COVID and not worry who's going to pay my mortgage next month. It's all, whatever. I don't care. I have moved beyond it. What I do get excited about what matters to me is change. I love the work I do. I love to see it make an impact. I like to see more and more people make comments on my stuff. I like to hear from you, Trent, and say, hey, this person told me about you and I want to be on your podcast. That is like a quarter million dollars to me. Since I talked to you the other week to set this up, every time I think about you, I'm 12 inches off the ground. By the way, I'm getting paid $10,000 for this. Nope. No, but I could get $10,000 if I wanted to by just charging somebody to talk for an hour like this, if you can believe it. No, I am so stoked to meet you and all these people that are going to be listening as I'm pretending you're all listening live, of course, but like the idea that in the future, this little thing's going to land on a whole bunch of people in cars and earbuds around the world. And they're going to go, whoa, that's really cool. That goosebumps. That is the reward of owning a job, of owning your enterprise. The impact you can make on other people is killer. Absolutely. And I, I talk about that quite a bit in that entrepreneurs typically want to make an impact and they don't see themselves doing that in a regular job and they feel like they can make an impact more so being an entrepreneur. And that's it. That's, that's a lot of people's, you know, why is they want to make that impact. But you did mention serious shift and I do want to throw a plug in for a book that isn't the experience economy. You've got a book out serious mm. shift that uh, came out in what, 2013? Yeah, it's getting a little old in the tooth, which brings me to another story. Never quit when you started something. Mm. I immediately, I finished that book, started writing another one right away. And I got in the middle of that other one and blinked and decided it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. And I stopped writing it. And I regret that. I should have finished it and then just given it away. Yeah. I should have said, you know, I had something here or even half of it. I could do that right now. I just put it out for free. Say, I'm really, really sorry. I got, you know, midway through this and I gave up on it. Don't ever give up on anything you start. Always finish it and ship it. That's a, that was a critical error I made. But yeah, serious shift. I wrote that in 2012 or 13. And it was, it's specifically for the financial services industry and how to adopt the principles of the experience economy. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, can I challenge you to finish that book? Definitely. I'm writing, I have 21 chapters of a book sketched out right now. Perfect. It's called the big splash. Okay. Which is an illusion. And it's this thing that we chase. Okay. This yeah. unicorn that will gore you with its horn. The subtitle is how to gradually then suddenly become the story everybody's talking about. Yep, you talked about that before. Gradual, then sudden. That's that's, that's right. <laughs> that's how everything happens. That uh, that line is from um, 
Ernest Hemingway, The Sun Also Rises. And just, I got to say this now, because you're like, wow, listen to this guy. Yeah, my friend John Norcross is a wonderful guy. He was the guy that reminded me of that. I was like, oh, where's that from? And of course he knew. <laughs> I didn't know. I hate, I hate, I don't want to, you know, misrepresent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so taking it back a little bit back to that Rush story. So yes. they are, you know, on the verge of greatness in a traditional sense if they change their music. Yeah. So many entrepreneurs, they get so close to what they want of financial independence. Yeah. You know, they can quit their job. They can do this if they just take this client that doesn't fit their 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 tribe. So how do you get an entrepreneur to be like, no, no, that's not that that's that's gonna set me back long term when all they think about is the short term? Yeah. If you don't have this, that's a that's a that's a good question. And I wish there was a, an adjustment answer, like, oh, you just do this. Right. You don't. It's like when the promise is clear, the price is easy. Okay. I remember a million years ago, I wish I remembered the guy. There's two people involved in the story. There's the guy I fired and the guy that said this to me. So I fired a client first time I ever did it. And the guy I told, I think I do know him, Paul. He was this big client of mine. He was my first like million dollar client who made a million dollars personally. This would have been like 1995, 96 when I was literally had roommates. And he goes, oh, congratulations. The day you fire your client is the day you are actually a business owner. When you realize the short-term gain is not worth the long-term pain. So how about we do this? Keep your expenses as low as possible. Don't put so much on your cuff, right? The more financially obligated you are, the more likely you are to compromise your decisions, take on clients and revenue you shouldn't have. I will tell you this, any single time in my life I did it, I regretted it. Not once, not once. I don't even, I can't even say, well, there was the one time it worked out, but 99 times I burned my fingers. No, 100 times out of 100, it sucked and blew at the same time. Do not do it. Create something remarkably special for one person. Solve their problem with more intention, humanity, and generosity than they would ever expect is reasonable. And they'll bring in your next client. End of story. That's how you do it. If you bring in somebody that doesn't fit, everybody listening, I hate Starbucks. I wish he'd quit talking about Starbucks. Okay. I don't care that you hate Starbucks. If Starbucks was my client, I wouldn't tell them to make you happy. I would say, just make sure that person finds what they're looking for and get them the hell out of the store. <laughs> they're going to ruin the buzz for everybody else. Okay. Starbucks works for Starbucks people. Okay. Nike works for Nike people. So here's again, two things. I'm going to give you the answer again. Two parts. Part one, don't ever compromise. You're going to be sorry. Here's part two. Give people something to buy into, not buy from. Think about everybody out there. Think about Nike. You go stand around the end of a marathon, you'll see people with Nike tattoos. Mm -hmm. Go look at all the shoes. Every shoe says Adidas, New Balance, Reebok, not Nike. Swoosh. Look for tattoos. You'll never see New Balance, Adidas, Reebok, Converse, Vans. No. Well, Vans are actually interesting because that's sort of a sub-tribe of skateboarders. You said you didn't know anything about skateboarders. Can I know they wear Vans. <laughs>
Okay, but Nike, why the hell does a guy put the tattoo right on his chest? Women often get it on their foot. The Nike swoosh, why? Because they're not buying from Nike, they're buying into Nike. Everybody else sells shoes. What does Nike sell? Just do it. Yeah. So whatever you're listening to out there, whoever you're listening and whatever you do, what do you really do? What do you really do? I sell business strategy, business planning and measurement and adjustment. Yeah. Okay. That's what I sell. Yeah. Me and 10 million other people. There's 10 million people listening that have hired a coach and had amazing success and they've never even heard about me. <laughs> Clearly, I don't have this coaching thing sewn up. Clearly, I'm not the only smart guy you can listen to. Yeah. But people that want the serious shift, where do they get that? I'm the only guy that sells it. And to buy in, you got to think the idea of, uh, do, you know, of turning away revenue isn't bizarre. To buy into the serious shift, you have to say this. I wouldn't leave my cottage in August for a quarter million either. Right on. You're my people, man. Now let's get together and talk. Bring some people with you. You know, our people, not any people. People <laughs> that are like you and I. Why don't you bring me somebody that I could learn something from? So get, you know, the, the long answer, the short answer to my long answer is you got to figure out what the heck you're all about and ask people to buy into and not from you. Yeah, absolutely. This, is, yeah. this has been incredible, Dennis. I, I, it's amazing just being able to talk to you. And like I said, I, I don't give you the legend status lightly when you're a man. You know, we connected, I started digging into who you were and I was just like, wow, this is, this is a fascinating individual. And so I'm super excited that we were able to chat, but you're awesome. Wanna, well, well, thank you. I, I want to ask you though, what is it that excites you about the future? Personal business, what's exciting to you? AI. I wish I was 20 years old. The world just got good. Here we are. Look at this. We're living in COVID. There's riots around the world. The global economy is in some kind of spiral and nobody knows what the hell is going to happen in 10 days. And I wish I was 30 years younger than I am because the world's just getting good. Holy goodness. Technology, AI, the connectedness of the world and how it functions. Are you kidding me? I'm excited about every aspect of the world and where it's going to go. I'm excited about 3D printing. I'm excited about owning nothing, leasing everything. I'm excited about the user economy. I'm excited about all of it. I don't even know where to start. The whole thing is just getting better. We are more connected than we have ever been before. It's more possible to do anything, to create it, ship it, share it. Look at you and I. You say, geez, Des, I was really excited to meet you. Well, I was excited to meet you. Who are you? You got your own, it's a podcast. You got your own TV station and I'm on it and you're running that out of your house and you're connected to people. This is amazing. Like, don't you wish you were 12 years old? Things are, can you imagine what a 13-year-old kid is going to pull off when he's 36 years old? This world's just getting started. I'm excited about it all. Remain excited, everybody. Things are just infinitely more possible than they ever were before. Absolutely. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, I've, I've got three young kids, so I'm excited to see where they end up. Um, you know, throughout this, throughout their life. But I mean, again, thank you, Dennis, but I want to give you a chance to tell people where to best find you and find more information about you. Come do this. If you text the word shift, like shift your perspective to this number, 33777, we'll send you a little hello message and you'll be connected. You'll receive our blog. Otherwise, if you, if you don't want to do that, just go check out our website, 
MosleyWilliams.com. M-O-S-E-L-E-Y Williams.com. You can learn all about us. Perfect. I'll make sure to include the link in the show description for that as well. Thanks, brother. I know I've gotten a ton of value out of this. So I know my audience has gotten a ton of value out of this. So I encourage you all to get out there and hustle the day.